0: Hello and welcome to Procon. My name is Siddharth Satish and I'm your host for today's show. Now we have come to the third episode of our four-part series on This House Regrets the Narrative of American Exceptionalism. In this third part of our series, we're going to be discussing tips to communicate your ideas effectively. Now this should not be confused with the speech writing episode that we had last week. That focused on what content to have in your speeches, what to research in specific, and what we should do to prepare for your competitions. Now, this one talks about something completely different. It talks about how to talk to an audience, how to interact with people in the audience, and how to make sure that the judges or those evaluating you are always engaged in the conversation that you're having with them. In order to make that happen, let's talk about some things that you should do to create an effective presentation of your ideas. Now, before we go into great detail, I would like to preface this by saying that we're discussing a world schools debate in specific. This is the type of debate that people across the nation in the U.S. and across the world compete in. Many times we have USA debate teams. Indian debate teams, Chinese debate teams, Singapore debate teams, and debate teams from across the world compete in only this type of debate. Thus the name, World Schools Debate, comes. Now, most often, there are three people on each team who give speeches on a given resolved, And this topic, This House Regrets the Narrative of American Exceptionalism, is one of the examples of a World Schools Debate Resolution. Most often, teams would discuss and debate either in opposition or proposition and their positions will not be given to them before the event itself. They will be notified of what position that they're going to be fighting for at the event. So to make sure that you're prepared and compete effectively, communicate your ideas effectively, and ultimately win your round, here are some tips that you should keep in mind. First. Make sure that you're brief. Now, this sounds counterintuitive when you're talking about a debate. Most times, teens regurgitate information and have a vomit of words that they present in front of the judges. And many times, they may win as a result because judges are often confused and one side presents a very poor argument, whereas another side seems to have a lot of knowledge on the topic. However, let's understand that we all like brevity. It's easier to understand and maintain enthusiasm and your audience's interest in short installments. Now, the last time you probably wished a speaker had gone longer was never. I can say that for close to 99.9% of the population. We never wish that people speak more. We try to understand and grasp ideas in the first few seconds that we hear it. And that's why brevity is a very, very important thing. Now, this doesn't mean make your argument much, much shorter, make it less complex. No, not at all. Make it brief and easy to understand. Most times using complex vocabulary may seem like the way to go, especially if it confuses your opponent and makes them have little to no rebuttals for your argument. However, understand that the judges want to see exclusive and potent debate. Debate that has an exchange of ideas, of views. And that can only happen if both the judge and your opponent understands the ideas that you are trying to communicate. So be brief in what you're trying to say and be effective in what you're trying to say. Now, I've used the word effective quite often during this show. So before I use it any more times, Let's go into detail on what I mean by effective. Now, the dictionary definition of effective would be something that is in, that can be completed in a short span of time without expending too much energy. And that is the same definition I'm going to apply in this situation. You want to communicate your idea clearly, briefly, and in a short span of time to make sure that you not only are able to give the judges what they're looking for, but you're not wasting time saying complex words, confusing them even more. Because if the judge doesn't understand the first few seconds of your speech, it's highly likely that they're going to tune up for the last few minutes of it. So be brief. And an example of this would be when you're debating a topic that is very, very dense. For example, if you're debating the topic of decriminalization of prostitution, that has multiple multiple layers to it, you can go up and talk about human rights trafficking issues and you can talk about multiple laws that are passed by the United Nations, by the United States and by other countries that try to limit this. But to make it more effective, you would focus on one country or on one entity and in a world schools debate setting that might be the United Nations. And if you go into deep detail about how policies of this one entity impact the entire world and impact this situation, that's going to be much better than going into Sweden, Italy, China, the United States, and multiple other countries and giving your audience dense details. Don't be afraid to use examples, but use them properly. Also, most times we see debaters trying to use very, very complex vocabulary. Judges may understand, but most may not. And it's better to have a judge or a competitor who understands what you're talking about rather than one who's completely confused. The purpose of debate that many of us tend to forget is to foster discussion of ideas. In competition, often that is forgotten and if you can remember that and inculcate that value into your speaking, you're going to be a much more effective speaker. Now, I know this tip kind of is in between what we're going to be talking about today and what we discussed in the last episode about writing your speeches. But it does apply to a certain extent in the way in which you communicate effectively because this can be used when responding to questions as well. In World Schools debate, your opposition team is allowed to stand up when you make a comment that they may not necessarily agree with. They may ask you a question or they may just make a remark. And you are given the autonomy to choose who you would like to stand up ask, to ask a question or whom you would like to give a response or a statement in opposition to your facts. Now, 9 out of 10 times you may choose to put your speaker down. But many times, if you don't choose on your speaker at all, then that's going to reflect negatively upon you because the judges are going to think you don't have the capacity to respond effectively in a brief manner and continue with what you're trying to say. Recognize that many times people use this strategy to throw people off their balance. You're reading a rehearsed speech, and if someone stands up in the middle of it, they're bound to catch your eye. So now that we've gotten some of that gray area out of the way, let's talk about how to talk in a proper debate setting. First, and one of the most important tips that anyone could ever give you is inflection. Now, for those of you who don't know what that means, inflection is a process through which you emphasize specific words or specific phrases during your speech. Many students may start off using inflection excessively or not at all. And excessive usage of inflection along with Little to no usage of inflection can make your speech monotone. For example, if I say the word, this house regrets the narrative of American exceptionalism in a relatively monotone tone as I did before, compared to this house regrets the narrative of American exceptionalism in a completely passionate tone for the same period of time, both of them will eventually lose your focus. You might either fixate upon the long pauses or the excessive passion that your opponent has, and that will definitely cause many people to lose focus on what this person is trying to say. Now this person can either be you or can be your opponent, but regardless, monotone speeches can have a significant impact on debate. Even if you don't want to win, if you're not in it to completely win it, or if you're here just for the experience, don't give a monotone speech. Not only to eventually get to the point where you will be in it to win it, but to make sure that those who want to compete, who want to learn more, don't lose sense of the ideas. Don't lose sight of the message that you're trying to communicate because that can be the most important message of that debate. So that being said, remember to inflect specific words and statements. Notice I stressed specific in the sentence before inflecting on that word because I want you to understand that specific words means one or two words that have an impact on your overall argument. If you're making the argument that This house should regret the narrative of American exceptionalism because America in and of itself doesn't have a unique government, which you could either argue for or against. You could say America itself does not have a unique government. Now, notice how I stressed the word unique. This is because the word American exceptionalism has a definition that fosters the idea that America is accept the norm. It's uh, fighting against what is normally perceived as okay. And by stressing that and providing the contrast with that definition, I provide the specific word that needs to be emphasized without making my speech or my sentence in that instance sound monotonous. And that's a skill you develop over time. You develop by practicing. You can do this by putting a small underline over words that you would like to emphasize, or you could actually write that out in your speech. Anything that works for you can help you become better at communicating your ideas. Now, the second thing is the importance of being someone who is able to be friendly with your opponents, friendly with your judges. It doesn't mean going to them every two seconds and asking them what their college major is, what country they're from, what they like to do after school. It just means not making facial expressions when something is being said. It's something that many debaters struggle with and and it is something hard to maintain. Many times you've done extensive research on certain things and when you're asked to defend something that you're really passionate about and you see opposition bringing up arguments that you don't necessarily agree with, that you have many, many pieces of evidence to overturn, you may make faces. It might be the excitement inside of you, it might be the disbelief in their argument, but you do make faces. And as a speaker, it's highly saddening and unmotivating to see someone make faces when you speak now you can use it as a strategy and say you're going to make faces to throw them off but realize that debate is a collaborative environment it is not something that you go into just because you want to win winning should be a goal that you achieve by being a collaborative team member by allowing for the exchange of ideas So be friendly in that sense. Don't make faces, don't make immediate judgments. And that will take you a long way, not only in debate, but also in life. Now next, let's look at the importance of pausing every so often. Many times in competitions like Lincoln Douglas and public forum, we see teams spill information from the get go. They're talking extremely fast, so their opposition doesn't have time to write down their points. Some judges like that. But in a world school's debate setting, and in most debate settings, what are you going to get out of it if people don't know what you're trying to communicate? If the judge doesn't realize that the arguments that you're making are actually strong, they're going to assume that you're talking so fast because you're not confident in yourself. Although there are some judges who encourage something like that, but recognize that the mass majority of them really want to absorb what you're trying to say. They want to take that in. So pausing every so often, giving time for judges to understand what you're trying to think, putting in some ums and uhs every so often. I know we say don't have ums and uhs, but every so often by putting that word in, it can make you a bit more relatable. You don't want to sound like a robot up there, which many debaters seldom do because Many times they are memorizing a speech and going up and regurgitating it word for word. If this helps you, go for it, but don't regurgitate it because you want to maintain the focus and you want to maintain the communicative tone that debate needs. So by putting a pause, you help create that environment, that ambiance, and make yourself more relatable and make your ideas easier for people to understand. Now this brings us to our last tip of the day. Many debaters, when they're talking, project loudly, like I just did, or they might be too shy to speak out because they haven't rehearsed that much. But recognize that whenever you ask a question, whenever you're responding, if you're on both ends of the spectrum, you need to match the tone of the person who's asking you the question, who's making a statement, or else you're going to look like someone who's too meek, timid, and scared, or someone who's too aggressive, overpowering, and overconfident. So matching the tone of your questioner is something very, very important. And matching the tone of the first speaker who goes up is also important in fostering a place where people are able to grasp what we are trying to say, but still don't think of you as someone who's overpowering, domineering, and too scary to approach. Now, what you can do to make sure that people don't think of you in such a way is that if the first speaker comes and speaks in a very shy and timid manner, doesn't mean you have to go up and be shy and timid. It means that if you're naturally loud, and if you communicate in a very broad and aggressive manner, well, tone that aggressiveness down. Make sure that you communicate regularly. Like you're talking to someone, of course with the inflection, of course with the pauses, of course with proper structure and nuances, but make your tone much more pliable. And that will take you a long way in debate. Many times people are afraid of coming up and speaking. They have rehearsed this, but they're talking in front of people who they barely know. And having someone come up and yell at them is going to scare them even more. That concludes our last tip of today's show. I know it has been three weeks of me talking, explaining, communicating, reading excerpts that are important, getting excerpts from excellent writers and communicators, but I'm sure next week will be the best episode yet. We're taking debaters who have listened to all three podcasts, asking them to come onto the show and debate the topic, This House Regrets the Narrative of American Exceptionalism. There are going to be two debaters who will be debating this topic. And hopefully you'll be able to see all of these tips imbibed in what they communicate and how they do so. So with that being said, thank you so much for joining me in today's episode in ProCon. And we really appreciate the time that you're spending to learn more about debate. Thank you so much once again for your time and keep listening to Procon.